Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. Um, I want to share one thing with you that's really, really been weighing on my heart um, before I get into part three of our series today. Uh, and this will just take a moment, but, you know, some stuff happened this week in our country. Uh, I don't know if you've been aware of that or not, but um, we had an election this week. And for all the craziness that has surrounded the election, um, what I've been noticing in my friends and my family, in the community and in the broader context of the world on social media is I'm noticing a lot of um, fear, for one. Um, a, a lot of anxiety, and I'm also noticing a lot of dishonor. And the thing that has been really weighing on me since probably early yesterday, late Friday, is the, is the lack of honor that I've been seeing in our communities um, and what I see on social media. Um, doesn't matter who you vote for, it's not a partisan comment. Um, no matter who you voted for, no matter how this election turned out for you and your household, nobody is above honoring uh, the person they didn't vote for. And one of the things that I've been seeing that has troubled my heart so much is the absolute lack of honor for President Trump and uh, President-elect Biden. Doesn't matter how you voted, these men deserve our honor. I don't care if they did something to you personally. Uh, you know, if, if Jesus could show us the example that we're supposed to love those who persecute us and pray for the people who despitefully use us. I mean, I don't care if somebody's camped on your front lawn blaspheming you. The Bible says you're supposed to pray for them. And all the crazy junk I've been seeing online, memes that have been going around, really this whole election season, but it's just really come to a head the last few days. There is so much dishonor in our country, and it bothers me to the very bottom of my being. And my prayer is that for our church and for our people, that we would not be a people of dishonor. That it doesn't matter how this thing shaped up, uh, regardless of how you voted, nobody in this congregation is above honoring people. We can honor, amen? We can honor everybody because honor is the key to the blessing of God. It's the key to the anointing. Whatever you honor, you receive from. And whatever you dishonor, you shut the door to receiving from it. And so I have a lot to say about this subject, but I'm going to leave it at that. I just want to challenge your heart this morning. Would you make up your mind and make the decision to be a person of honor during the remainder of whatever this election looks like? I mean, there's like, who knows how many more weeks it's going to be before we know who really is officially president. I don't know. There's a lot of lawyer things going on right now. So <laughs> let the lawyers do what they do. I'm going to do what I can do, and that's to pray and to be an honor. Okay, so put, put slander out of your vocabulary for the next little bit, okay? Amen. All right, spanking's over. Let's get back into the word. <laughs> no, this, you know, it's, boy, it just got under my skin. It really bothered me, and I thought, Lord, you know, there used to be a time and a place in, in this world and in this country when people actually showed honor even to the people that they disagreed with. These two men that we're talking about, they occupy the highest office in the land, and for that reason and that reason alone, they deserve our prayers and they deserve our honor. Amen? So just be thinking of that. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Part three of our series called Dare to Hope. And I want to remind you that in two weeks, on the 22nd of November, we are making a huge and very significant announcement um, here on Sunday morning, two weeks from now. So as I said to you at the beginning of this series, plan to be here on the 22nd. Don't miss it. You will be very, very glad that you came. Let's do a quick moment of review, um, and let me read our main scripture that we have been using for this series, Dare to Hope. It's Lamentations chapter 3, which I know is not the first book of the Bible that you think of when you think hope. But Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19 through 24, and I'm going to read it to you from the New Living Translation. It says, The thought of my suffering and my homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. 
Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. And I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. You and I have great reason this morning to hope in our God. Amen. Regardless of what's happening in the world around us, we have a great reason to hope in our God. Amen. Now, uh, I want to get into a little bit of review, but let's take just a moment to bow our heads in prayer over the word, and then we'll make our confession of faith that we like to make each week. Can you do that? Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that the Bible says that the entrance of your word brings light. We thank you, Father, that you are for us and not against us. We thank you that you are a God of hope, that despite the circumstances that we face in our everyday lives, you remain, you always have been, and you always will be our hope and our joy, the one in whom we trust. God, we put our confidence in you this morning. We ask that as we receive from your word, that you would speak a word in season, prick every heart today by your spirit and by your word, cause us, Father, to be drawn into a deeper hope of you. We give you the praise and thanksgiving for it in Jesus' name and let everybody say amen and amen. You can look up on the screen and see this confession of faith that we like to make together. Let's go ahead and declare that out loud today. Say, thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, My heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. You say, why do you do that, Pastor Josh? Well, we say that because we believe it. And the Bible says that we would have whatever we say. Jesus said that we would have the things that we declare and that we say. So we believe that we're growing today in the things of God and we're not afraid to say it. Let me do a a quick moment of review Last week, we talked about, in part two of our Dare to Hope series, we talked about the subject of defeating despair. The big enemy of hope in our life is despair. And uh, if we're going to move forward in the things of God, if we're going to be who he's called us to do to be, we're going to have to learn how to ditch the despair out of our lives. Amen? How many of you could say, by a show of hands, you would just be happy to have less despair in your life, right? I mean, that's just like, yeah, duh. So we looked at uh, the book of Proverbs last week, and we saw that the scripture says that hope deferred makes our heart sick. Hope deferred makes our heart sick. We said this verse is not telling us that our heart gets sick when our desire is deferred, but rather that when our hope is deferred, our heart gets sick. When hope gets taken out of the equation because I put it off for some other time, my opportunity to expect God to work in my life disappears. You remember that I said that hope is always within your reach. It's always available as long as you're looking for it. The moment you stop looking for hope is the minute that it seems to disappear, right? Our expectation that God is who he said he would be needs to always be present in our mind. We're never to go without hope. Here's the takeaway from that verse that we read last week. Nobody can take away your right or your ability to hope. Nobody can defer hope for you. Amen? Well, the only thing that the devil can do is present you with a bunch of reasons why he thinks you shouldn't hope. But he can't force you not to hope. Can you say amen to that? That's something to get excited about. The devil has no power to force you not to hope. Amen? Amen. We found out that this deferring of hope has a big impact on our ability to walk by faith. When my hope and my expectation in God gets pushed off and postponed, my heart's ability to believe becomes weak. My my faith literally gets sick when I defer my hope, when when I procrastinate in hoping. We read about Abraham and we discovered that he had no natural reason to hope. Abraham had everything stacked against him. Almost 100 years old. Wife's 90 years old. They've never been able to have kids. And all of a sudden, God shows up and says, you're going to be the father of nations. That's a pretty stark contrast, right? 
However, Abraham tapped into his love for God. He tapped into his faith for God. And he tapped into this hope on the inside. And his hope pushed against the obstacles that were in front of him. The Bible says, contrary to hope, in hope, Abraham believed. And his faith surged forward because his hope was active. I used a football analogy here. I said Abraham's hope was like the blocker that went out ahead of the running back. The running back, you know, he's got the ball. He's holding the promise. But in order for him to get to the end zone and cross the line, he needs somebody to do some blocking for him. And so hope is like the blocker that clears a pathway so that your faith has a chance to run with the promise that God's put in your possession. Without hope, faith gets stopped at the line of scrimmage. Amen. Now, we want to move on to today's topic, which dives deeper into the relationship between faith and hope, because these two things are always forever linked together. If your faith is going to be effective, it's going to happen on the basis of your expectation and your hope that God is who he said he was. Amen? So I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. I did a pretty good job of reviewing. That didn't take too long. Thank you. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 6, title of today's message is Framing the Future. We're going to talk about these, this dynamic duo, these two elements called faith and hope. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. I'm going to read this first verse to you in the New King James, and then I'm going to read the passage to you in the New Living Translation in just a moment. But verse 19 of Hebrews 6 says this. It says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. We've talked about, in, in the previous several weeks, we've talked about how hope in the Old Testament, the literal word in the Hebrew for hope is, it, excuse me, it means a rope or a cord. We've talked about how hope is that thing that fastens you to God. It's your lifeline. I love why the way the writer of Hebrews puts it. He says that hope is an anchor. Have you ever been in a boat that's at anchor? Have you ever been floating? You know, you're in a, you're in a little boat. I'll, I'll never forget we... Uh, this past summer, we went to the beach with uh, my, my family, my wife's family, and we rented a pontoon boat. And me and my brother-in-law, David, drove that pontoon boat all over the place. And we, the, the, the depth finder in this pontoon boat wasn't the best pontoon in the world. Uh, I'll definitely rent from somebody else next time. But the depth finder in this pontoon boat was broken, so we literally had no idea how deep it was at any point in time. So we kept running that thing into sandbars. It was pretty hilarious. But there was a, at one point when we finally got control and we knew where we were at, and so we, um, we, we decided to drop anchor and hang out and float for a while. If you've ever been in that moment, you know what it feels like. The waves kind of push you and move you around. You can feel the effects of whatever the water's doing, but you're not going anywhere. I'm here to tell you that's the way your life and my life is supposed to look from the inside out. You can feel the effects of what's happening. Boy, if there was a big cruise liner that came through and kicked up a bunch of wake, we felt it. We felt it move, but we weren't moving. We felt what was happening around us. The environment was constantly changing, and we recognized it, but we never went anywhere because we were anchored. I'm here to tell you that hope is the anchor of your soul. Hope in Christ Jesus is the thing that will keep you anchored to the will of God for your life. That no matter what is going on around you, no matter whether the tide's in or the tide's out, no matter who's zipping past you on a jet ski, no matter what kind of tumultuous thing is happening on the water, you are sure and steadfast because you're anchored in the person of Christ Jesus. And it is our hope, it is our expectation of God that causes us to stay anchored. Isn't that good? It's the anchor that holds your soul in place. It literally anchors you to the will of God. And you start to see how important hope actually becomes in our life. That it's not just, it's not just this kind of thing that we talk about. Well, you know, faith, hope, and love, brother. I'm going to have hope. Yeah, I hope. I hope you get it. I'm going to interview for a job. I hope you get it. 
Oh, I hope they didn't run out of French fries. Oh, I hope this, I hope that. We, we got to get rid of that idea of hope as this wishful, blissful thing off in the future. Hope is a very real, very present reality that anchors us into the person of God. And it's so important that we understand that. I wrote this, and if you're taking some notes, I encourage you to write it down as well. We're talking about framing the future this morning. If you're going to frame the future of your life, you need to secure the present first. If you're going to frame the future, you need to secure the present. Thank you for that roaring silence. I appreciate that. <laughs> Let me break that down a little bit more for you. Hope is able to give you vision for the future and establish you in the present at the same time. Hope is able to give you, because remember, remember how we defined hope. We said that hope was an earnest, heartfelt expectation. It's an expectation that God is good and that the future is brighter than the present and that everything God said will actually come to pass in my life. It's confident expectation of God. So it always is leading us and pulling us in the direction of a brighter, better, more promising future. But the reality is sometimes we need to get our present situated first before we can start talking about framing the future. Amen. Amen. Two of you believe. Hallelujah. We got, we got to get our present secured. See, if, you, if, if you're on like quicksand, it's going to be real hard to talk about your future. If you're just fighting to survive and stay afloat, it gets really difficult to see anything in your future. How many of you have experienced that? You don't have to raise your hand, but think about it for a second. If, if you're in a situation where you're just treading water to survive, how difficult is it? How impossible is it to even think about the future? And this is why this message is so important during an election year. Don't you love how God times this stuff? I didn't plan this to come out this way. But when the country and when the world is in the midst of chaos and people feel like they're just trying to survive, they're not even thinking about the future. This is when we need hope more than ever. If you're going to frame your future, you're going to need to secure your present. And hope is able to give you vision for the future and establish you in the present at the same exact time. Notice that hope in this verse is the anchor of what? The soul. Thank you. What part of you, let me ask you, what part of you needs to be anchored in hopeless situations? What part of you needs to be anchored? We're, we're, we're what? We're three-part beings, right? We're spirit, soul, and body, right? We're spirit, we're soul, and we're body. Which part do you think needs to be most anchored when you get into some crazy times? Your soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, it's made up of your emotions. It's made up of your will. It's made up of your habits and your thought patterns. Your soul is such an important part of who you are. It's not to be confused with your spirit. Your spirit is the real you. Your spirit is the part that when you get saved, it becomes alive again to God. You, you get saved and you become a child of God and your spirit gets completely refashioned and remade from the inside out. You are brand new on the inside. But then you got this pesky soul, this mind that still wants to think the way it used to think before I got saved. These emotions that still want to react the same way I used to react before I gave my spirit to Christ, before I gave my heart to Christ. You following me? See, we're spirit, soul, and body. Another way to say that is we're heart, mind, and body. And my heart, man, my heart is anchored to God forever. My heart is in line with God. My heart wants God all the time. But it's this pesky soul, it's this mind that I'm carrying around. And it's this body that I'm living with that needs to have some adjustments. So if you think about it, what part of you needs to be, needs to be recalibrated and be anchored when you get into a crazy time? It's your mind. It's your soul. Where does the devil attack you first when crazy things happen in your life? Your body ain't racing. Your mind is. Right? When, when you get bad news from the doctor, what's the first thing that the devil goes to work on? Your, your, your head. 
I've told you this story. I've shared it with you many times when, I was, when my wife and I were first married. And, you know, we, she used to beat me home all the time. We didn't have any kids. We had no dog. We had nothing, no responsibility. We could eat junk food and lay around. and do. I mean, we could do whatever we wanted to. Newly married. Hallelujah. And she would always beat me home, and then we'd figure out what we were going to do for dinner. Well, the, one day I got home first, and I thought, where's my wife? So I called her. No answer. I wait 90 seconds. Call her again. No answer. And I'd do that 10, 15 times, and I'm really starting to get nervous now. Where is the devil going to work in that moment in my mind? What part of me needs to get anchored again when the proverbial you-know-what hits the fan? Right? When things get going crazy, where's the place that the devil attacks first? It's your mind. That's why the writer of Hebrews is very specific in the way that he says this. He said that our hope, that our hope in Christ is the anchor for our soul. If you find yourself freaking out, I said it like that on purpose, freaking out. If you find yourself freaking out, it's an indication that it's time to get your soul anchored back in God. Now I'm going to tell you how to do that. In just a few moments. Notice that hope is the anchor to the soul. Your spirit's already anchored. You're a new creation in Christ. Your spirit is perfectly complete in God. The value of hope, if you're taking notes, please write this down. The value of hope is found in its ability to steady your soul. The value of hope is found in its ability to steady your soul. Now, let me read for you this verse, Hebrews 6, 19, and I'm actually going to read to you verse 16, 17, and 18 as well, but I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation. I just want you to listen to this because this is amazing. Verse 16 says, now when people take an oath, they call on something greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also himself with an oath, or excuse me, God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable, watch this, because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge. How many of you fled to God for refuge? Especially when it gets crazy in life. How many of you flee to God for refuge? Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Some of us need to be reminded today that it is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to change his mind. He doesn't flip-flop. He's not a political party. He's not a candidate. He's not going to say one thing and do the other. He's trustworthy, and his word stands forever. And if he promised something to you, he cannot change his mind, and he cannot lie. This is the truth which makes hope such a powerful force. My expectation, remember, hope means expectation. My expectation is sure because it is impossible for God to lie. You see, we had to go back and read that in context because you got to know what is it that sets the stage for my hope to even work, the fact that God said it and he can't change it. He can't change what he said. He's so committed to his own word that he said, I'll never lie to you. I'm going to give you this promise, and I'm going to give you an oath that tells you that the promise is good. If you go read at the beginning of this chapter, I love this. I love the writer of Hebrews. I love when the Bible gets a little snarky. You ever read the snarky sections in the Bible? They're great. I love it. A few verses back, he says, God, when he was looking for somebody to swear by, he couldn't find anybody greater, so he swore by himself. 
God said, I'm going to bless you. And just to prove it, I'm going to swear by myself that I'm going to bless you because I can't find anybody more boss than me. And if he can't lie, you can't lose. Oh, thank you for that raucous silence. If he can't lie, you can't lose. Come on. It's so true. Our hope is anchored in him because we know that he cannot lie and he cannot change his mind. This gives my hope something to expect and it gives my faith something to believe. This gives my hope something to expect and my faith something to believe. Let me ask you this question and don't raise your hand or give it away. Just think about this for a second. Have you ever had a person in your life promise you something and you believed their intentions but you had no expectation that they would come through? All the time, right? (laughs) You, You believed that their heart was right so you had faith but you didn't have any hope. You didn't expect them to actually come through. You see... Our hope and our faith have to get on the same page. We understand that God, it's impossible for him to lie. It's impossible for him to change his mind. He swore by himself because he couldn't find anybody greater to swear by. So we know that he means business. So what I need to learn how to do is get my hope and my faith on the same page. That the promise of God will never change. We do this, this expectation dance all the time. We put faith, we believe, we put faith in something, but we have no expectation. And the reason oftentimes is that we have a bad experience. People let us down. And so then we say, well, I'm not going to trust that person. I can't trust that person. So it hinders our faith and it hinders our hope. But I'm here to tell you, God will never let you down. Matter of fact, God has never let you down. Amen. God has never let you down. I understand that maybe it felt like that, but give it some time. He's never let you down. Amen. We cannot afford to to do our Heavenly Father the way we do other people, right? We can't afford to say, God, I trust that your intentions are good. I believe you when I hear you say that you're going to make these promises to me. I believe you, but I'm not going to choose to expect you to do that. We can't do that to God because he's perfect and his word is perfect. Now, I want us to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, just a few more pages over. And I want us to just examine further this relationship between faith and hope. I'm going to make a couple points here, and then I'm going to give you four things that you can take with you today, okay? I don't ever want to just come up here and preach a theory. I want to actually give you some practical things to take home with you, okay? So right now, let's go to Hebrews 11. Verse 1, I'm going to quote it to you in the King James. You'll see it up on the screen in the King James. And then I'm going to give you like six other translations, rapid fire. It's going to be great. So buckle up. Here we go. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And if you're from my neck of the woods and you come from my church background, you've heard this verse a time or three. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I want to read it to you from the Amplified, the Contemporary English Version, the Good News Translation, the Voice, and the Passion Translation. Are you ready? Here we we go. No, this is buckle up, man. This is super good. Here it is, same verse in the Amplified. Now, faith is the assurance, the confirmation, the title deed of the things we hope for, being the proof, everybody say proof, being the, thank you for saying it the way I said it, that was good, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality. Faith perceives is, perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. Now listen to it in the contemporary English version. Faith makes us sure, faith makes us sure of what we hope for and gives us proof of what we cannot see. You see hope and faith working together in that scripture? Isn't that amazing? Here's the good news translation. To have faith is to be sure of the things we hope for. 
to be certain of the things we cannot see. That's awesome. The voice translation, faith is the assurance of things that you have hoped for. I like how it puts it in the past tense there. Faith is the assurance of the things you have hoped for, the absolute conviction that there are realities you've never seen. Isn't that good? That's super good. The absolute conviction that there are realities you've never seen. Now, here's my favorite, the Passion Translation. Now, faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Wow. Can I read that one to you one more time? Isn't that one super good? Now faith brings our hopes into reality. Stop there for just a second. Hopes, what are our hopes? The things we expect God to do because he said that he would, because he's a faithful God and he can't lie and his word doesn't change. So the things we expect God to do with our hope, our faith is the thing that actually grabs those and pulls them into reality. It becomes the foundation we need to acquire the things we long for. And I love this last sentence. It is all the evidence we need to prove what is still unseen. You see, God's got things in his heart for your life that you haven't experienced yet. We say, well, how do you know, Pastor Josh? Because you're not in heaven yet. Okay? You're not dead yet. You're still alive. You're still here. That means God's got something more for your life that you haven't experienced yet. Amen? Touch your neighbor. Tell him that's for you. That's for you. You need to know that. That's for you. If you're still breathing, God's got something in your future that you haven't experienced yet. There's some part of his plan that you haven't walked in yet. There's a fulfillment of a promise for your life that you haven't stepped into yet. This is an incredibly hopeful scenario. Amen. God's good, and his intentions for you are good. His purpose and his future for you is better than what you're experiencing right now. And listen, things could be good in your life. Maybe you're not on the edge of chaos and despair. Maybe you are. Maybe you're somewhere in the middle. The reality is tomorrow's supposed to be better than today because that's the character of the God that we serve. Amen. And our faith partners with our hope. They get together, they get on the same page, and then they surge forward into the will of God. And those promises that seemed like they were far away start to actually show up in your life. And you go, oh my God, my prayer just got answered. What was that? Oh my Lord, look at that. I've been believing for this for five years. Oh man, I really wanted to get married. And boom, here he is. Here she is. I like it the way my friend Dustin puts it. Our hope is the blueprint that our faith sets out to build. Our hope is the blueprint that our faith sets out to build. We need both faith and hope to build and frame our future. Remember what the title is? Framing the future. You have a responsibility to partner with God and to take what he said and begin to build it into the future of your life. You see, we spend so much time building our own lives in in selfish areas and in selfish ways. What if we were to get on God's page? What if we were to get God's idea of what our future should be and begin to build that in our lives? Without hope, our faith can't give substance to anything. Hope is the set of blueprints This internal image of God's will for my life that's based on his word. Let me stop and camp on that for just two seconds. Hope becomes the internal image of what God has for you, for in store for you, for your future, based on his word. Real practical example. Real practical example. God tells you that he's going to meet your needs and supply for your needs according to his riches and glory. 
And so you, you read that, you see that in the word, and it, 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 the light bulb goes off in your mind. You go, whoa, God said he wants to take care of me. So now you embrace that. You start to believe it. You say, Lord, this is awesome. I believe your word. What starts happening on the inside? Hope begins to build an image of that in your mind and in your life. Hope begins to go to work and draws out a blueprint of what God looks like in your life as he's meeting your needs. And so you say, Lord, I believe that. I trust that. I want to see that come to pass. And as you stick with it, it actually starts to happen in your life. Is this making sense to you? Is this too ethereal? Is this making sense? I'm going to give you some real practical steps here in about two seconds. Hope is this set of blueprints, this internal image of God's will for my life that I discover in his word. And my faith is the thing which gives substance and reality to those blueprints. My faith swings the hammer. Okay? Right, Jeff? Jeff's a builder. He can tell you this is how it works, right? You get a set of blueprints. And then you go to, listen, if you don't have the blueprints, you don't know how to build. You might have all the tools. You may have all the materials you need. You could have the strongest faith in the world, but with no expectation. No, you don't have a set of plans. You don't know how to build. You don't know what to build. And you could have a really good set of blueprints. You could have all the expectation and all the hope in the world and not have any faith to go to work and get it done. It's true. Y'all are looking at me like, ah, is this true? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Hope is a set of blueprints. And faith is the thing which gives substance to those. So, in the last few minutes... How does it work? How can I frame my future according to God's word? How can I take the things that I hope for and actually see them become a reality in my life? As I'm, as I'm speaking to you and talking about all the concepts of this, I, I, I'm sure that some of you are asking, Great, Josh, really good, sounds cool. How do we make that work in our lives, right? Let me give you four points. How can I frame my future according to God's word? Number one, get militantly consistent with the scriptures and with prayer. Militantly consistent with the scriptures and with prayer. You want to see the will of God come to pass in your life? Take, take a devotional life seriously. Value God's word and value his presence enough to make them an absolute consistent part of your life day in and day out. I talk to people on a regular basis who wonder why they don't get their prayers answered. And then when I ask them how often they pray, they don't have a good answer. It's quiet. We, we need to get militantly disciplined and consistent in the word of God and in prayer. You see, because when you get in the presence of the Lord and you, 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 you engage in a prayer life and a dialogue with God, you start to learn things about him. You start to actually be around him. You know, how do you get to know somebody? You get around them, Right? It'd be real tough for me and my wife to have a great marriage if I saw her once a month. Thank you, Keck. I, listen, I know I'm stepping on everybody's toes, mine included. Do, do you know how many Christians just don't have a prayer life? Do you know how many pr preachers, how many pastors don't have a prayer life? Hello? I read a statistic that blew my mind. The average Chinese pastor prays for 17 hours a week. The average American pastor prays for 17 to 20 minutes a week. Why is revival exploding in the underground church in China? Because they pray, because they talk to God, because they actually want to know him. And it's amazing the more that you get to know God, how much easier it is for your prayers to get answered. You see, because we spend all our time struggling, trying to figure out how to make life work, and we just keep cutting God out of the equation. 
You got to get militarily, militantly consistent with the word of God and with prayer. Because you'll never know his will for you until you crack open these pages. You'll never know his will for you. So I won't even know what to believe or how to believe for it until I learn what he said about me in these words, in these pages. And I'll never get to experience it if I don't experience him in prayer. So number one, how do I frame my future? I know this is tough, guys, but it's, it's good. It's really helpful. How can I frame my future according to God's word? Get consistent with the scriptures in prayer. Consistency is key. I wrote this down in my notes. You can write it down if you want to, or you can avoid it. 98% of the problems we face are due to our own lack of, in, of consistency. 98% of the problems we face come from our own lack of consistency. And let me tell you what we tend to do. I'm sorry I'm camping on this one for just a little bit longer. Let me tell you what we tend to do. We set superhero goals for prayer and reading the word. We say, oh, it's a new year, January 1st, time for New Year's resolutions. Here's what I'm going to do, Pastor. I'm going to pray three hours a day. I'm going to get up at 4.30 in the morning, and I'm going to pray for three hours. And we do it once. And we're so flipping tired for the rest of the day that we never do it again. The bed's just so comfortable that next day when the alarm goes off at 4.30. Come on, y'all. Don't make me feel like I'm the only person that's ever done this. Right? God is more interested in you spending five minutes every day with him than he is with you spending five hours with him once a year. Amen. I like what Dr. John Maxwell says. He says, we overestimate what we can do in a day and we underestimate what we can do in many days. Get consistent with God. Just get a, get a devotional life. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't have to look like your neighbors. It doesn't have to look like your spouses. It just has to be you and God, honest and regular. Number two, all right, I'm moving on. Number two, how can I frame my future according to God's word? Number two, get ravenously hungry for the presence of God. Number one is to get militantly consistent. I used some like strong adjectives with these. Get militantly consistent with the scriptures and prayer. Number two, get ravenously hungry for God's presence. You want me to put it in layman's terms? Learn how to find God every day. Learn how to find God in everything, every day. I like to make it a game. If I can be real honest with you, I like to make it a game. And God's just cool enough that he'll let you play games with him. Amen. He is. He's not worried. You know, God's not uptight. He's just pretty cool. But I like to make it a game. Start acknowledging God as many times as you can throughout the day. Just try to figure, just, just like, oh, you're at a stoplight. Oh, hey, God. Oh, hey, there you are, Lord. I, I believe you're with me right now. I, maybe I don't feel you, but that doesn't matter. I'm going to acknowledge you anyways. Oh, Lord, here I am walking into the grocery store. It's you and me, God. Oh, Lord, here I am at work. I just got off a frustrating phone call with a customer. Lord, I acknowledge you. I'm going to invite you into as many moments throughout the day as I possibly can. Make it a game, man. See if you can beat your record from yesterday. I acknowledged God 73 times yesterday. And today I'm going for 75, glory to God. Make it a game. I promise you God will love to play that game with you. He will love to play that game with you. And that is how you get hungry for God. Because what happens is the more you do that, the more you start to expect it. The more you start to look for his presence in your life. And then, and then a day will come when the day gets busy as you forgot to do it and you'll feel homesick. And you'll go, oh, wait a minute, Lord. Ooh, wait a minute, Lord. I haven't acknowledged you yet today. I remember the, the uh, I got just about three more minutes left, guys. I remember reading the story about a man named Smith Wigglesworth. Y'all know who Smith Wigglesworth was, one of the silliest names anybody ever had, but he was one of the most powerful guys God ever used. 
He was riding with his son-in-law, Albert Hibbert, down the road, and they had been, isn't that funny? He gives a lot of weird names in, the, in England in the 1800s, but he was riding with his, with his son-in-law, Albert, and they're driving, just driving along, just chatting, you know, shooting the breeze. All of a sudden, Wigglesworth yells, stop! And Albert slams the brakes, pull over! And Albert's like, are you okay, man? What's wrong? He grabs Albert's hand and he says, Oh, God, forgive us, for we have been talking now for these many minutes and have yet to acknowledge your goodness. He said, I never pray for more than 15 minutes at a time, but I never go more than 15 minutes without praying. What if you and I just got in the habit of seeking after God and getting just crazy, ravenously hungry for his presence? Amen. Number three. Be hyper-intentional with your words. How do I frame my future? Number one, get militarily consistent with Scripture and prayer. Number two, get ravenously hungry for God's presence. Number three, be hyper-intentional with your words. Don't waste words. In Psalm 141, verse 3, David asks God, he says, God, put a guard over my mouth and put a keeper at the doorway of my lips. Too many times when poo hits the fan, we run off our mouths. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, even a fool is thought wise when he keeps his mouth silent. Sometimes, you know what you need to do? Shut up. I knew I'd make my kids laugh with that one. Sometimes, you know what we need to do? Man, just, just be quiet. Just shush. Just Be intentional with your words. Be consistent with the scriptures. Number two, be hungry for God's presence. Number three, be intentional with your words. Number four, this is the last one. Take big risks with Jesus. Take big risks with Jesus. Come on, Peter, get out of the boat. Get out of the boat. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The next storm? See, a lot of us, we, we, we paint these pictures, these grandiose ideas of what our life with God could look like. And we do all the other things. We, we get intentional about our prayer life. We get consistent. We start looking for God's presence. We, we really start getting intentional with our words. And then the moment comes time for us to actually take a risk with God, and we don't. The moment comes time for you to actually pray for the person that you're standing next to that you know that they're hurting and you just find a reason not to do it. I'm telling you, if you want to get a hold of God's will for your life and you want to actually frame that future, if you want hope to go to work in your life, you've got to learn to do these things. We've got to learn to get in the word, get in prayer, look for the presence of the Lord. Get really intentional about the things we say and actually put all of it to the test by taking risks with Jesus. I'm here to tell you that every time, every single time in my life that I have taken a risk with God, he has carried me through that situation and taken me right into his will. And I want to tell you one of the things that one of the things that gets really, really cool, and I don't know who this is for, but this just came up in my heart, so I, whoever this is for, here it comes. As you begin to get more and more comfortable taking risks with God, one of the things that happens kind of almost on its own is the level of anxiety and tension in your life starts to go down you actually start to get less and less moved by the things that you see. You start to get less and less. I mean, you start to get this, you you start to get a carefree attitude. You do. You start to get this carefree attitude. The more risks you take with Jesus and the more he proves himself to you over and over and over again, your hope gets further and further built up. Your expectation is, oh my God, man, last 10 times I did what Jesus asked me to do. It worked perfectly the way he said he was going to. Yeah, I'll do it again. 
And you just get more and more and more comfortable and you get more and more relaxed in obedience. And the anxiety of your life starts to diminish. Like I'm talking about decisions that used to feel like a mountain. You can just make them like that. You just, oh, yeah, exactly. I, I got peace in my heart to do this. I got peace in my heart to do that. I just, had a, I just had a decision come up like that in my life this week. It was the easiest, simplest thing I've ever had to decide. And it's one of those things that could have real consequences. And I'm like, Jesus, I don't care what the consequences are. We're walking together. We're on the water. This is great. Come on, Peter, get out of the boat. Take a risk. The more risks you take, the easier it gets to take bigger risks the more excited you become about your relationship with God and the more hope begins to work for you. Amen. Amen. I know this is kind of a strong message today, but you can handle it. You can. I wouldn't have brought it to you if I didn't think you can handle it. God wouldn't have put it on my heart if he didn't know you could handle it. I know it's a strong word. I know that there's, a watching, there's people watching online today. You can handle this. I know it's, I'm being kind of intense. I'm up here sweating, you know. It's how I do. It's okay. This is normal. But you can handle this word. God wants you to know that you can take him at his word, that he, it's impossible for him to lie. Don't leave anything out on the table with him, man. Receive it. Take it as yours and say, yes, Lord, I will take risks with you. Yes, I will get ravenously hungry for you, oh God. Yes, I'll get consistent in my prayer life. Yes, Lord, I'm going to put a guard over my mouth, just like King David, because I don't want to sin against you, Lord. I don't, I don't want to speak things that are contrary to your word. I want to speak words of life. I want to speak words that are in line with the will of God for my situation in my life. And as you do that, you watch. You'll begin to frame your future and it'll be perfectly in line with what God has planned for you. Amen? Now, next week, we're going to talk about the title of my message for next week. It's called Side Dishes. Side Dishes. You ever go to a restaurant and order a meal, and it comes with a couple side dishes? When hope's on the menu, joy and peace are the side dishes that come with hope. You do not want to miss next week. Stand up to your feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.